Welcome to Always West Seattle, the podcast where the people, places, and stories of West Seattle come together in one place. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. On Saturday, June 6, 2020, the people of West Seattle came together to show that Black Lives Matter in a massive protest against racism and police violence. It was a merging of events and neighborhoods into one demonstration of community, with a march starting in the Admiral Junction to the north and another from the Morgan Junction in the south, both of them leading to and convening with a protest in the Alaska Junction. Reports estimated the number of participants at close to 4,000 people, and these events were organized by students. On that day, I strapped my microphone to a selfie stick to do some safe and socially distant interviews with people who showed up to demonstrate. And the first thing I wanted to hear from the people in my neighborhood was what brought them out that day. I'm just trying to show my support to the movement. I just want to try and make the world a little better place. You know, if we don't all stand up, nothing's going to change. So it it takes all of us to just take one little effort to make the world a little better place for everybody. A little bit of everything, injustices and the Black Lives Matter. Just in general, trying to keep things peaceful and get our point across. Just here in solidarity. A lot of things, mostly to stand in solidarity with all my brethren and sisters, you know, of the human race. Um, Just the disgust that I have with what's been going on in the world, especially against our people of color with the police officers. A, A search for justice and an end to this pattern of violence. Just very sad about what happened. Too many times, too many people lost their lives. We just want to show people their love, you know, to support peaceful protests, you know, and God loves everybody. All I'm out here to support racial justice and black lives and um, oppose police brutality. To support black lives and to keep peace. To support Black Lives Matter and to bring justice to people who have been wronged. We actually were just getting food, but we did stop by because obviously there's a Black Lives Matter protest and we, we support it and uh, we believe in it. To be honest, I'm still really practicing social distancing. This is my first day being able to open my business in three months, and so I booked out no clients during the march, and even though I'm a little fearful to get in the crowd, I can stand in my doorway and be safe and support the cause. We just all need to do something, whatever it is, our small part. People that I know who have um, not been helped by white people like myself. I really wanted to be involved. I've been really upset and I keep really close track of the news. I'm very informed and I have medical standbacks, if you will. So I don't really want to march, but I still want to be a part of it. So I made signs and other people can carry them and I'm just kind of hanging out, watching and supporting. I'm in support of the protests that have been going on and I wanted to be a part of it somehow. It's kind of scary though, all these people. I'm a person of color, and I'd like my African-American neighbors and friends to know that I stand with them in their fight for equality and justice. I live in West Seattle a couple blocks away, and there's no protests before this, so just want to stop by and check it out and support the movement. Black Lives Matter. We have to stop being silent, and we have to stop the violence. I also asked everyone I talked to the same question. What can we do in West Seattle to confront and combat racism on the community level? Here's what people had to say. We have to stand up and point it out when we see it. No matter where we see it, in our workplace or in the community, we've got to have the the guts, I guess you'd say, to stand up for fellow brothers and sisters and say this isn't right. I'm new to West Seattle, but I think 
It's a pretty great turnout out here, and I think just need to continue to amplify and speak for, for black lives. I think it starts locally. All the residents should know who their council members are, both the county and in the city. Just be open to talk and befriend people who don't look like yourselves. Have the conversations. Don't shy away from them. Just uh, be nice. Be kind to everyone. I think we just need to carry on this discussion and this fight uh, for months and months and years and as long as it takes. Look at how we're racist. Be inclusive. Try to make more justice in economics. Make more jobs for people that are good-paying jobs that they can live on. Try to be fair. I honestly am not the right person to ask. I will say this, I'm a white, straight, cisgendered male, and it's time for me to just shut up and listen. That's why I'm here. Well, I mean, consciousness raising, and, and especially amongst the white community, I think it's important that people, uh, the white people do the work of examining their implicit biases and the ways in which their privilege clouds their ability to notice the way they perpetuate racism. So I think it's important for the white people to work amongst themselves with some input from the black community to try to f get their thinking straight. At the same time, though, it's important to do what we can do right now to minimize violence against black people immediately, rather than waiting around for all the white people to figure it out. I think we need to look first in our own hearts, treat each other with love and respect. As long as we can peacefully protest and make sure that no one else gets hurt, I think we can make a change. One of the big things that we need to do is support defunding the police. I think the police have a definite stronghold when it comes to bad activities and targeting specific races, whether black, brown, um, or indigenous people. And so I think that needs to stop. I think in addition to defunding the police, unpacking your own white privilege and to understand how you are complicit in many ways, as well as using your own privilege within the institutions that you work in to dismantle them and uh, reduce barriers for black and brown people to have access to socioeconomic mobility, voting, and any ways that we can get black voices heard and, and elevated. As somebody who, is, who identifies as a woman of color, but not black or indigenous, I'm also unpacking my own privilege as somebody who is not black or brown. And so in what ways can I, and in my own spheres of influence, elevate black, black voices and put them at the forefront so that they can have access to a lot of the things that I have had access to and um, my white colleagues have access to. I think that what we're doing now, what we're all realizing is that it's in all of us as white Americans and continue to educate ourselves and continue to listen, to listen to people and keep our hearts open. SPD has uh, school emphasis officers and one of those officers is at Denny Middle School. I think it's pretty suspicious that all four of the school emphasis officers in the Seattle School District are all in the South End and all in black and brown communities. Schools are where we start that school-to-prison pipeline. I just think people need to get more involved than they are. We kind of live in a bubble here, and I, need, I know I need to do it. So. I think we are predominantly a white community, and I think it's imperative that anyone with any kind of privilege stand with those that haven't had the same kind of access to education and are being treated different by the justice system. I think it's going to have to start with our police department and how they uh, interact. Like, I was listening to a podcast talking about how we have cops going to every situation, fire, homeless people. Like, every situation, they always have their guns. It's always uh, over-excessive. 
I think every community has to act and let people know we are anti-racist, we're not just allies, and we're doing everything we can to make sure people behave in a way that we all want to be treated. You got to disrupt the status quo. You got to get on their TV screens, outside their windows, inside their newspapers. You got to become undeniable. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can encourage people to get on that momentum and just take one by one, piece by piece. It was gratifying and enlightening to see and hear so many people, mostly white in a mostly white neighborhood, taking ownership of their role in systemic racism, acknowledging their privilege and the gravity of racial disparity, talking about uncomfortable truths, and willing to take a stand to finally make things right. I heard a lot of important things from people marching and demonstrating, but it was the black voices leading the Alaska Junction protests that mattered the most. Using a van parked outside Easy Street Records as a makeshift stage, the speakers and performers that day shared powerful messages of outrage and accountability, injustice and calls for activism, recognizing the realities of racism in our world and the importance of speaking out. We heard and repeated the names of black people murdered by police, and we took a knee to honor their memories. Among the speakers was one of the youth organizers of the day's events, her name is LaCoriana Jackson, but everyone knows her and will undoubtedly remember her as Coco. I don't want to see my kids having to fight just to walk down the street to go to get some groceries. I don't want to see my kids having to struggle in their education system, not knowing their background, their history, who they are, where we come from, our motherland. I don't want my kids going through that. We caught up with Coco on a phone call in the days after the protest. So how old are you and what school do you go to? I'm 15 and I go to Chief South International High School. And tell me about the origin of the protest. How did it first come about? Well, it was honestly a random project. We just, I was texting one of my friends and we were talking about the protest and the riots going out in downtown Seattle. And a lot of us weren't able to go because of how dangerous and serious the situation was. Mm -hmm. So we were like why don't we just make a protest and see how this goes? And mind you, we didn't think it was going to be, you know, something big. It would have been something, you know, small, or maybe just a group of people just to come, you know, and mm-hmm. hold times and camp. Right. But obviously it wasn't. It was crazy. I, I The outcome was amazing. Yeah. But uh, it was really, it was really just a random idea. We just wanted to make a peaceful protest to get our voices heard, to get our point across talk about the injustice going on in the black community. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was just random. It was really random. And were you sort of coordinating with students at other high schools as well to sort of make this happen? Yes, yes, sir. Some of the some of the kids did go to my school, but there was like a few that went to other schools. But yeah, it was just basically six of us. And we we're like, you know what, let's just do this. We're going to spread the word around, try to see if people will come. And uh, yeah, it turned out amazing. Yeah. And you were a speaker that day, uh, yeah. and you delivered a very passionate and powerful speech to the crowd. Were you were you always planning to be a speaker? Uh, no, <laughs> actually, I am. I I I'm a very cozy person. I I don't want to say that I'm shy because you know I'm pretty nice. Like if you talk to me and we can have a good conversation, I, I'm an outgoing person. I can talk to you, mm-hmm. but you know. I did not plan on going up there and speaking. Matter of fact, I just thought we were, I thought it was just going to be a march. We were just going to march around, and me and the friend would just leave the march and do whatever. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> I, I when I was told I had to speak, 
before I, I was told I had to speak, I volunteered because nobody else would. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, forget it. I've done, I've done speaking before, I guess, but mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't something as big as it was. And I was like, forget it. I'll just do it. I didn't think I was going to be up on the top of a van. It was, <laughs> it was crazy. I didn't even, I didn't think much of it. I couldn't, I didn't even make up a speech because I'm not good at doing that. Like, yeah. I, I'll just speak what is on my heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was really, it was just crazy. It was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. Well, you clearly were speaking from the heart, and I think that's why it just resonated with everyone so deeply. I mean, you know, there there was laughter, and there was tears, and there was anger, and there was hope, and and you, you delivered on all of those emotions. It was really a powerful experience. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. What was it like seeing all those people gathered to hear you and support you? Oh, my gosh. It was so crazy. At first, I didn't realize how many people there was because, you know, I'm short and everybody's around me. <laughs> I knew there was a lot of people. But when I got up there, right when I got up there and just seen how many people there were, I was blown away. I didn't think that many people would come out to support. Like I said, it was really just a random idea. And it wasn't and it wasn't just me. It was all the other groups that made made um protests and people that come together. It wasn't just me. But it was just so many people and it was so amazing to see everybody loving on each other and being together and just speaking together and, and it was peaceful. It was it was just amazing. Everybody was happy and I loved it. It was amazing that's great it definitely was did you learn anything from this experience of of creating something that generated such a huge response well i learned that you know people do care there's people out there that do care you know Mm -hmm. and i learned i think it was more of i learned who people are and what they stand for i feel like it wasn't even just like the organization. It was just people in general, all the stuff going on in the world. Some of my peers are speaking up about it and some of them are quiet. It's just, you know, it kind of opens my eyes about certain things and where people people's hearts are mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But, I mean, it was, like I said, it was amazing. I was blown away. It was just, everything was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. It was a learning experience to me for myself to know that I'm capable of doing something like this mm-hmm. as me being a 15 year old, you know, a lot of people wouldn't think of a 15 year old to host a protest, to go right. there for the all the people and speak. So it was a learning experience, uh, learning experience for me to figure out who I am and what I can do. Mm-hmm. And knowing that my limits are endless. Yeah. You have none. <laughs> uh, <laughs> A question I asked people that day in the march and at the protest was, what can we in West Seattle do to combat racism on the community level? I would say speak out. Just like I said up there, is don't let your peers hold you back from speaking on what you believe in. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I've been seeing that a lot of people have been doing so. So, you know, don't don't just be quiet and not say nothing. Like, there, I, I read this thing and... It was talking about how there is, you could be either racist or anti-racist. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no in-between of those two, right? So you're either racist and let 
racist things happen, watch them be happening, or you're doing it, or you can be anti-racist and speak up mm-hmm. and and stop stop the negative things that are going around happening. And I feel like if a lot of people were to do that, racism would definitely be cut back by a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, just, you know, don't be quiet about things. If you see someone being prejudiced or see some something just going on, don't be nervous to speak up about it. Because mm-hmm. then, then we got situations like now, people being killed, all that. So, you know, speak up. Don't be quiet. Because if you care, if you really genuinely care, you will do so. Absolutely. And speaking of speaking up, I hope that that protest and you on top of a van is not the last time that we ever see you speaking to a crowd or with a microphone in your hand because you just delivered such an amazing moment for the movement and for our community. And I just wanted to thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And it definitely won't be the last time. People will definitely be here for me again. It's crazy because you never know how much you can make a change. Another unforgettable speaker in the Alaska Junction that day was a 12-year-old student named Erica, who read a poetry work she'd written just days before the event. We've reposted a video of her complete poetry reading to the Always West Seattle Facebook page, and we caught up with her by phone. Hi, Erica. Thanks for taking the time to uh, talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. So how old are you and what school do you go to? I am 12 and I go to Louisa Bourne up in Delridge. And you read a, a very powerful poem at the Black Lives Matter protest in the junction called Monsters, Criminals, and Liars. What was your inspiration for writing it? My inspiration was looking at all what was going on and like this world really needs people to speak up and speak their truth out. So I, I was just thinking of writing a poem and I don't know, <laughs> just, it just, I don't know, I just kind of thought in my brain and all the words came to in my mind and I just wrote it down. <laughs> and have, have you written a lot of poetry before or written other poems in the past? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that something you do as part of your schoolwork? I do do it for schoolwork, but I do it sometimes for fun, too. So how did you wind up reading your poem at the Junction protest? When my mom heard about the poem, she she was like, oh, my God, people need to hear about this. And then I was like, oh, wow, no. <laughs> but then when we went to the march, she was, like, trying to get people to call and, like, at first, they weren't really answering. Did you not know until you got to the junction that you were going to have the opportunity to read your poem? I did know I was going to read my poem, but I didn't really expect, think that I was going to be on the van reading it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like in the middle of like thousands of people. <laughs> yeah. What did it feel like to be up there seeing all these people who came out to hear you and support you? It felt very like, it felt really like good like everyone was there you know like we're all in this together and very very touching and and nice and like i don't know it just it was nice to have everyone there and supporting you did you feel that people were connecting with what you were saying 
Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> Have you written anything since delivering your protest poem? Not really. Well, I actually have been thinking of like other poems I could do, but I haven't been writing anything mm-hmm. after that. That's what you're meaning. Yeah. I was out in the street interviewing people at the march and in the junction later. And one question that I asked a lot of people that day that I'd like to ask you is, what do you think we in West Seattle can do to combat racism in our own community? Well, I think people should, I think people should really like notice, like see us as humans. And I think uh, Seattle should come together. Well, like not come together, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, like I come together and just like notice that we're all human and we can't just keep blaming, blaming on everyone. We all need to learn to to rise up. It's a big question. And the the variety of answers that I heard from people was pretty interesting. But I think what we heard from you and Coco and the the other speakers that day were the most important things. So thank you for sharing your work with our community. It was a really incredibly powerful moment. And I hope you keep writing because I want to hear more of what you have to say. And I, I think a lot of other people do too. Thank you. Yeah, I'll keep writing poems. (laughs) It just comes in my mind. Erica, who is 12. Coco, who is 15. We can see the future through their voices, and those voices call West Seattle home. Another person who spoke at the Black Lives Matter protest was our own beloved contributor, Keisha Vaughn. We caught up with Keisha a few days after the events to check in. So a lot's gone down since the last time we talked. I know. It's like the world just continues to keep transforming and transitioning into this new thing. And it's the reality that you have control and you have no control at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's a strange and overwhelming but really kind of magical time to be alive i guess yeah there's a a a lot of feels (laughs) all All the the feels feels. i mean (laughs) i feel like i am an emotional roller coaster every day Mm -hmm. and just trying to find a way to be honest about how i explain that to like our children Mm -hmm. and be honest with myself of where i am from day to day accepting that every emotion I feel is valid and to not overthink and to give yourself forgiveness and to give others the opportunity to speak and not be afraid to speak. It's a lot. Yeah. When you thought you were just trying to get through this time in our life. With your kids, what have you said to them? What have they been asking you? How have you been dealing with that? Well, even like going into our West Seattle march and protest, you know, they, they're they aware of what's on TV. They're seeing it and we're talking about it and talking about how my parents, my grandparents, their parents have had to continue to do work in order for us to have opportunities and the ability to have like what we hope is an equal life and education and to be able to 
be in love with who we want to be in love with and mm-hmm. kind of getting them aware that this this is real, this is life, and this is happening in your lifetime still, and you're going to be experiencing this as a child. And not necessarily like not sugarcoat it, but that's not the times that we're in right now. Like they understand like race and they have fear and going into that March, they had fears about what was going to happen. And I had to be honest to say, like, I don't think, I don't think that's going to go down, but I understand why you would be afraid. Mm-hmm. Everything that you're seeing on TV has elements of fear attached to it. And I guarantee there's a lot of people who went into their own personal marches in their cities and expected to just be able to peacefully protest. And it didn't turn out that way. Yeah. And I couldn't say that that couldn't be a possibility for us, you know, and letting them know that I was there to obviously protect them and that we were privileged to have opportunities for shelter, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's the reality of the world that we're living in, that there's people that are willing to put their bodies in those positions in order for the change of our world. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've definitely held some guilt for myself of not being able to be a part of that fight. Mm-hmm. But the priorities of my home and my children, obviously, is one that I have to really consider. And it's continuing to make them grateful and thankful and hopeful that they, on their small part and level, can be a part of that change. And that spirit living, there's others out there across this entire planet that are also a part of that fight right. for their life, for their opportunities, for their growth, for their future. Mm-hmm. And they do get it. And they, it's, you know, we left and we walked and we held our signs and they were empowered and they were yelling, you know, shouting the words, shouting the names. And, you know, at one point, Archie, my son, like looks at me and he's like, I love you so much. He was just so thankful to be there and, mm. and didn't have fear. And he just had pride and was, just one of those moments that I continue to think about over these past couple of days that just swells my emotion. Hmm. Yeah, it was uh, an amazing uh, turnout, amazing spirit, amazing energy. Everyone who spoke and performed were just so powerful and inspiring. Um, what What was your experience like through the march and through the rally in the junction? It was just really amazing to feel that individuals were willing to risk it all, you know, all of the work they've done over the past couple of months to keep themselves safe from a pandemic. And it became clear that you had to risk it all for really what our future is. Mm-hmm. And to see families and individuals and people just kind of gathered together shoulder to shoulder for what really can be this catalyst for like our new world that we're entering. Mm -hmm. And I mean, having those moments of silence and then you start to hear people scream that they can't breathe, screaming for their mothers. I mean, that's, I was losing it at that point. It became really real about what had happened and why we were doing this. Mm -hmm. And that to me was, it was important. I think it was important for all those families to experience that, especially because we're in West Seattle, our bridge doesn't allow us to be as connected to the rest of our city. Right. And that this was something that teenagers had the breath in them to say, we need this. I was just really proud of them to, to set that off for mm-hmm. our part of the city 
and to really see that everyone came out and showed up and it was really beautiful. It was yeah. really magical. And the, the teenagers who organized it, they weren't expecting a big crowd. They thought like, you know, some no. people might show up. Yeah, they, I think they definitely, you know, started out like, oh, we'll send a, a, a tweet and, you know, and obviously like they had to have some assistance because teenagers being in charge of a protest could get legally a little sketchy. <laughs> but I mean, to have that platform to see people in the junction in that, you know, walk always to see these photos now in retrospective of like the crowd and mm -hmm. like these girls standing on top of the boogie van, you know, like these are moments that will change the rest of their lives yeah. already has, you mm -hmm. know, like even for my children, for myself, it was a lot for me to even stand up there and feel like, do I deserve to be on this platform and, and speaking? And yeah. it was definitely overwhelming. Like I, I definitely was out of body and, you know, thinking to myself, oh, I wish I would have said something different, or why didn't I do that, or I oh. looked up, or, you know, it was just, it was overwhelming to look out on your community like that. You weren't originally planning to go up there, it was just sort of more of an impromptu decision to... It was about 30 seconds before I went up. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, go up and say something, and then you can introduce Aaron, and I was like, who? Wait, what? <laughs> what am I saying? I don't want to go up. I'm like going up. Oh my gosh, this is so scary. I don't want to do. It. Okay, I'm doing it. I'm going up. Here we. Oh my gosh, I'm doing this. Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. Got it. You know, it just was so like my adrenaline and my heart just was exploding. But that's the thing. You can't be afraid to get up there and be a voice for your community. Hmm. At this point, like we just can't. Like no one can. You also before the march had posted something on Instagram about people reaching out to you. Do you want to talk about that? I mean, I, I feel like I, I felt a bit of relief when I spoke to other people that I know, black people, people of color, that were also just feeling really overwhelmed to have an answer. Mm -hmm. Or people who I hadn't spoken to in years mm. all of a sudden were texting me and saying, oh, this is terrible what's happening. I am so upset. So you must be really upset. And I'm thinking to myself, we're all humans. We should all be upset. This should be heartbreaking to all of us. Yeah. It, this shouldn't just be sad to me because I am black. Right. Yes, I am devastated. And it hits me in a different place. And it obviously like brings back memories of times that I've dealt with racism. It makes me think of my family, my black male cousins living in Mississippi, the experiences that they have to go through definitely has swelled up all of these feelings and emotions mm -hmm. but the overwhelming amount of people that were like well, what should i do? how can i should i bring you some food and i'm just thinking to myself bring me some food like no you need to call your uncle you know what i'm saying like there's someone in your life that is a problem yeah and i've had people even like during like which I think we kind of spoke about before, like Black History Month, it was like, you should, we're all super white and we want you to come to our school and talk about music. And I'm thinking, well, what kind of music do you think I listen to? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just out of curiosity. Like, you know, it's, it's looking at your circles and mm -hmm. your work areas and your family and thinking, is there, are there people that I know for a fact say something and I just kind of roll my eyes and look the other way? Or am I going to take that opportunity to, put set my eyes forward and reply right which i've had to do a couple times already 
to people to the extent that some of them have even like dropped off Instagram because I had to set them straight about actually how I feel about them being either politically silent Mm -hmm. or, or obviously ignorant. And these are good friends, you know, people that I would never have expected to have to be in this position to not be friends with them. Yeah. But that's the eye opener for all of us is that you probably do know someone that's like, this is a 15 year friendship that I have given away because I believe in my future and my children's future more. And that's scary. It's overwhelming, but we're all going to have to do it. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's the change. Absolutely. It's listening to black people, but it's also listening to the people in your circles who are saying things that they need to be called out on. Fully. And it's not going to be inviting me over to your house to talk to your grandma. Yeah. <laughs> Talking to your grandma, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but and it's not that I don't appreciate people, you know, letting me know that they, like, stand for black lives and they see me and appreciate me or mm-hmm. realize that they didn't realize what the black experience maybe has been like up until then mm-hmm. or seen something where, you know, like I would never even think of myself being dragged out of a car for speeding and handcuffed and thrown to the ground. Like this is some of the comments that I'm getting right. where they're realizing this is something that happens often enough that it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Clearly like we're at the point that it realizes that everyone needs to make their voice heard. Everyone needs to use their power of vote. Everyone needs to do their research. You know, it's, yeah. this is not a time to fall on lazy or be dependent on other people to do the right thing. Right. And it's not, it's not your responsibility. It's not your burden. It's, it's everyone's, you know. And, it's everyone's. And I think uh, a lot of people are waking up to that. And it's huge. It's going to continue to be um, a domino effect for all the other things, whether that's women's rights, gay rights, children's rights. Whoever's right, like it's going to continue to open people's eyes. That's what I found inspiring about the march in West Seattle, that it came from all these different areas leading to one Mm -hmm. place and all these people coming together where maybe we don't have these problems as much as in other parts of the city or other parts of the country, Mm -hmm. but people still are showing up about it and and to stand against it. How someone lives on Alki is going to be different than how someone lives in White Center. Mm-hmm. But we're all in the same city, like part of town. How do we affect that change? I feel like every morning I just have been kind of like sitting with my thoughts and just overwhelmed with emotions. And But I have to be okay with that. Like, I mean, the range of emotions of just straight anger and rage and sadness and still finding moments of joy and putting one foot in front of the other and stay the course and, you know. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing everything that you're going through with me and with us. I really appreciate it. And um, I'm glad you're hanging in there. Thank you. You too. It's very therapeutic in a sense to be able to really say what's on your mind and on your chest during these times. Yeah. Knowing that there's no one on this planet that's not having these same conversations. They should be. They should be. That's it for this episode of Always West Seattle. Huge thanks to Coco, Erica, and Keisha for speaking with us, and to all my neighbors who stopped to talk with me in the middle of a monumental community event. 
In recognition of voices we have lost forever, I'm going to close by reading names of Black and Indigenous people we are remembering as victims of racism and police violence. Sandra Bland George Floyd Tamir Rice Trayvon Martin John T. Williams Chantel Davis Charles Roundtree Charlena Lyles Chantel Moore Eric Garner Justin Howell Ahmaud Arbery Kayla Moore Jamel Floyd Tanisha Anderson India Beatty Brianna Taylor <laughs>